Support for this podcast and the following message come from the University of Alabama. Through Bama by Distance, you can earn a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree with online coursework and affordable tuition. Learn more or apply today at bamabydistance.ua.edu. Check out Mogul, the new series from Gimlet Media and the Loudspeakers Network. The series tells the story of hip-hop legend Chris Lighty. He was the manager for stars like LL Cool J, 50 Cent, and Busta Rhymes. It's a story about the birth of hip-hop and the birth of a hip-hop legend, but it's also about the darker side of the industry and a lot of stuff that people would rather not talk about. Listen to Mogul now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. If it's summer, it must be time for a big-budget space opera. Three, two, one, exit. The French comic series Valerian and Laureline, first published in 1967, followed its title characters through adventures in time and space. The new film adaptation, called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, was written and directed by Luc Besson, the director of high-style films like La Femme Nikita, The Fifth Element, and Lucy. Besson's imagination is notoriously vast. He's been working on concept art for this movie for seven years. Here, Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne play Valerian and Laureline, a team assigned to protect Alpha, a city that's made it to the 28th century as a sort of utopia. 3,236 species from the four corners of the universe live on board, pooling their knowledge and cultures. But now the city finds itself in danger. There are aliens, there are battles, there are thousands of special effects shots. It can be hard to understand why this kind of sci-fi adventure is such catnip to studios when it has such a spotty record. And in fact, this weekend, Valerian kind of got its teeth kicked in at the box office. Why weren't they worried that it was going to be another Jupiter ascending? And is there any chance they'll win on the gamble they seem to be making that if they keep trying, one of these will be another Star Wars? I'm Linda Holmes. We're in deep space trying to find a place to land on this episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour. Before we get started, let's go around the table. I am at NPR West. I'm Stephen Thompson with NPR Music. I'm Glenn Weldon. I write for the NPR website. And joining us from New York is the host of Slate's podcast, Represent, Aisha Harris. Hello, Aisha. Hello. So, uh, Glenn, at the beginning of the summer, uh, we did a rundown of what we thought would be some good and not so good movies, boondoggles and not so boondoggles. I want to know how this movie struck you. Um, as the booniest doggle I'm going to see uh, this particular summer. Let's just stipulate that what everybody has been saying about this film, every single review starts with, great to look at, no story here. Let's just take that as read. Let's establish it's great to look at. Let's establish that it doesn't make any damn sense. This is schlock, but it's a very specific artisanal kind of schlock because it is two <laughs> things that schlock is never. It is hugely expensive. And it's idiosyncratic. We think of schlock as just stuff that's just churned out, right? Mm -hmm. But that's exactly what this is, except with real imagination behind it, misspent imagination (laughs) behind it. I really dug the first half of this film. I really dug the intro. I mean, yes, there was a credit sequence match to David Bowie's Space Oddity, which was okay, a little on the nose. Mm -hmm. And if you found yourself thinking Mm -hmm. that, you 
probably should excuse yourself from the theater at that point because the rest of this is going to be <laughs> is just going to double down on that. Uh, I have a lot more to say about uh, the charismatic black hole at the center of this film. Uh-huh. This uh, this uh, elephant graveyard of charisma who is named Dane DeHaan. Here's what here's where charisma goes after it dies painfully. Oh. But I want to get I want to get some other folks into this, but I have yeah, I have thoughts. I'm just going to jump in and be the one to just declare we rarely review movies that put me in this position. I I hated it. I wow. hated this movie. And I hated basically all of it. First of all, you have Dane DeHaan and and Cara Delevingne playing this pair of people who work together. They have no discernible chemistry whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. there is no relationship that is built. You come into the middle of them arguing about the relationship that has not been shown to you. It's sort of like starting a movie with your two leads coming in and saying, the thing that you need to know about us is we're really in love. Go. And that's the (laughs) whole thing. And then the rest of it is just, oh, well, the stakes here are how in love they are. Did not care about the relationship. There is a moment late in this movie. There are actually several moments late in this movie where it comes to a complete stop while someone tells you what in the hell is going on. Because otherwise, you cannot tell. I was very curious about whether were all of those moments in there to begin with, or did they make the movie and then start screening the movie and have everybody say, okay, I know there's something at the beginning, and then there's like a porcupine that poops marbles, and then, (laughs) but other than that, I don't, I really lost track of it after the porcupine that poops marbles. After that, I was like, I don't know what's happening. And so then they have him be like, I see, like, there are these moments where Valerian stops and is like, I see what happened. Your plan was X. <laughs> it's just I, I don't know, that didn't, that, didn't, that didn't sound enough like bargain basement Keanu Reeves. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, so that's me. I have some spoilers that indicate that Aisha might agree with me up to a point, perhaps not as vehemently as me. How did you feel, ma'am? No, I, I also hated it. I came very, very close to actually leaving the theater if... I hadn't already known we were going to be discussing this on this show. I would have loved right. it. Uh, Me too. Me too. Was, I was miserable, like absolutely miserable. Everything that Linda said, I completely agree with. In my notes I have here, I wrote, reminds me of Disney Channel original movie, Xenon. The dialogue also, there's a moment where one of the evil characters says, I'll find you, federal agent Valerian, wherever you are. I will find you and kill you. And I'm just like, yeah. this is what this is what's happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it, it was just it, the the visuals to me even weren't enough to make everything that was happening and everything that was being said like worth watching. Like I actually felt I, I had a, the 3D experience and it made me a little sick, uh, motion sickness a little bit. And finally, I will just say that this movie made me dislike Clive Owen and that is not okay. I, he's usually <laughs> great and his character, it made no sense. It was it was the most like 
cheapest end of the I'm going to explain everything that I've done uh, ending possible that you could get to. So I I agree, Linda. Hated it. Yeah. (laughs) I could do 30 minutes of just me complaining about this movie. Go ahead, Stephen. (laughs) I had fun at this movie. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) It's, I mean, yeah, the script is terrible. Dane DeHaan. Leave immediately. (laughs) Dane Dane DeHaan. There's sub-zero chemistry. I felt like it was a noble flop. We like a few years ago we talked about noble flops. I think we were specifically talking maybe about Jupiter Ascending. Mm-hmm. There's a very Wachowski esque feel to this movie in that. How dare you! <laughs> in that, like <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars were spent to put bonkers visual ideas on the screen. We have not mentioned this movie cost somewhere between 180 and 210 million dollars. Mm-hmm. It made 17. Sometimes, like, I will go to a movie like this, and I just, I I felt this way a little bit about John Carter. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt this about Jupiter Ascending. I want to see how they spent that money. And the worst kind of gigantic, big-budget flop is the kind where you don't even see, you don't even see where the money went. Mm -hmm. And in this, you are actually seeing where the money went. France, (laughs) France is, they financed this movie with, like, tax incentives. France, bankrupt. Yeah. The entire country. People talk about, like, well, it cost $180 million and made 17, but it was financed using, te- like, like, the money so came it's not, from... it's not that much. Yeah, it's, so a dry, money... it's a dry heat. <laughs> yeah, it's a dry heat. The money came from somewhere. <laughs> like, the fact is, like, I wasn't bored by it exactly. I know, Aisha and Linda, you were. Um, but I, I just, I got a kick out of... A, how silly it was, but B, it does have this massive undercurrent of very sincere, I think, optimism. Hmm. It is based on this kind of PG-rated family space opera desire to like show a universe in which all the planets like got along enough to like form this society. There is this weird kind of like the fifth element is love kind of kind of bonkers <laughs> desire to be like sweet and good hearted, even though like the movie is just crumbling before your eyes. Okay. I, I got a kick out of it. Okay, you keep mentioning the fifth element. I think we need to differentiate this uh, film from the fifth element because what does the fifth element have that this film does not? It's also a Luke Besson film. It's also bonkers crazy. That film, the fifth element, has performances has Mila Jovovich <laughs> as Multipass as Lilo. You've got Gary Oldman as Zorg being <laughs> just Gary Oldmaning it up. As as you'd imagine, if his character's named Zorg, he he goes the Zorgist he can go. And and Chris Tucker doing that weird little MC oh thing, God, Chris which Tucker is memorable. <laughs> there is nothing memorable about Dame DeHaan as this like he's aiming for charming rogue. He ends up as your stoner roommate. Right. Uh, at one point. <laughs> Some character, perhaps himself, perhaps he calls himself a lady killer. And when that happened, I was like, come on, what is going on? Last thing, the dialogue in this film, as we've talked about, is translated from the the French or the Martian because it conveys meaning. I'll, I'll give it that, which is the lowest possible bar for dialogue to do. It just it just it makes people understand what you're saying. And that's it. That's it. I think there is one memorable thing in the movie. I think there is one thing in the movie where I was like, this is well executed and sort of cool. And that is when Rihanna shows up, she does sort of a dance where she morphs into different people. Uh She's not in the movie for very long. Everything else she does serves her very poorly. Mm -hmm. I do sort of think that dance is 
it is a jolt of, I will say, charisma that at that time the movie desperately needs. My thesis about this movie, and I thought about this when I was reading the press notes and I saw Bassan talking about having wanted for, for many years to make a Valerian film because he loved the comic books and having felt like you couldn't adequately express the worlds of that comic in the technology that existed. And it was after he saw Avatar, he said, that it made him think, yes, it's possible to to do this and make this movie. The issue with that to me I think there are diminishing returns over time whenever you have a technological leap. Avatar, to me, didn't have a compelling story either. Mm -hmm. And it also had some bad acting. Not as bad as this, but bad acting. (laughs) But at that time, it really is true that people had not seen what is in Avatar at the time that Avatar came out. And I think people were much more able to be forgiving because the technology really was very new. I don't know that a lot of this struck me as as visually new as I think Avatar must have felt to Besson, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I had fun. Um, <laughs> there was a moment early in the film, I think, when Valerian is crashing through all the different planets, mm-hmm. and you just see all these different worlds as he's plummeting through them, and you're like, I want to spend time here away from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Not that guy. Let's just yeah. let's just settle in. Well, I don't know how many of you have seen Valerian, but particularly if you <laughs> liked it, I would love to hear what you liked about it cuz I freely admit sometimes the stuff I hate other people like. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/pchh or tweet at us at pchh. When we come back, it's going to be time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, what is making us happy this week? So come right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu. With the largest streaming library full of your favorite reality TV shows, Hulu is the home for reality TV's biggest fans. Catch all the drama, all the tears, all the heartbreak, all the competition. Because Hulu has your reality TV. Start your free trial today. Learn more at Hulu.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Google. From Connecticut to California, from Mississippi to Minnesota, millions of American businesses are using Google tools to grow online. The Grow with Google initiative supports small businesses by providing free digital skills workshops and one-on-one coaching in all 50 states, helping businesses get online, connect with new customers, and work more productively. Learn more at google.com grow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Pocket Casts. Whether you're new to Pocket Casts or have been a fan for years, as an NPR listener, they're offering you a free three-month trial of Pocket Casts Plus, giving you all of the great features of their free mobile app, plus more. Listen to the podcasts you love and discover even more when you redeem your trial at pocketcasts.com NPR. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is time for our favorite segment, What is Making Us Happy This Week. Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week? a giddiness-inducing collection of writing at NPR Music called Turning the Tables, which is based on the concept of when we think of the rock and roll canon, you see lists like Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. They are stacked at the top almost entirely by records by men. Uh, Your Pet Sounds, your Sgt. Peppers, on down, and then you hit like an album by Aretha Franklin at number 30. So this project is spearheaded by the writer Ann Powers, who is a co-worker of mine and an absolute treasure. Uh, And she got a collection of about 50 women from across the public radio system, including a number of people who've worked on this show, and got them to write about what they deemed the 150 best albums from across 
across the musical spectrum with women at their center. And so you've got your Joni Mitchell blue, but it, it fans out to include all sorts of stuff. I got about 20 selections in before I hit a record uh, by Pauline Oliveros called Deep Listening that I had to like rush to YouTube to listen to because the piece of writing uh, made it sound so incredibly compelling. I just loved this. I spent the better part of a day just swimming around in it. Wonderful, incredibly evocative writing, uh, some really sharp selections. Uh, Everybody will have quibbles. Everybody will have somebody that they think should have uh, belonged. It is such an an amazing discussion starter. I could not recommend it more. Uh, It's called Turning the Tables. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week? I just reviewed a book for the NPR website that I really, really dug. It's called The World Broke in Two. It's by uh, the literary critic and historian Bill Goldstein. The title comes from a 1936 essay by Willa Cather, who was noting that the ground under her feet was shifting and that her style of writing was going out of fashion. And so what she said was, the world broke in two in 1922 or thereabouts. And what she was referring to was the publication of James Joyce's Ulysses, T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, and the English publication of the first volume of Proust's In Search of Lost Time. Uh, Modernism, in other words. And what this book does, instead of trying to kind of talk about the rise of modernism, he selects four writers, Virginia Woolf, D.H. Lawrence, E.M. Forster, and Eliot himself, and just picks from their correspondence and from their journals and tracks them for the year of 1922 from January to December to really expose how these publications changed how they write and how they interact with each other. And that's really smart because there's a disconnect between how they talk about writing in public when they're reviewing and when they are talking about it with each other or to their journals. They are, it's, it's a very intimate portrait, a very vivid portrait, if I may say, a kind of bitchy portrait <laughs> of the literary life mm-hmm. uh, where they just constantly are appraising each other and themselves in a kind of ruthless way that is very entertaining. And yes, he also shows how they're trying to figure out how to write in a new way. But really, this thing comes alive when it's this, this churn of of this narrative gaze, of them looking at each other and appraising each other in a really uh, entertaining way. So that's The World Broke In Two by Bill Goldstein. Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Aisha Harris, what is making you happy this week? Well, my thing is not nearly as lofty as either of those picks, (laughs) uh, but... Um, so last week, a blast from the past came back. Uh, Cisco decided to bless <laughs> us all with a new version of the Thong Song. Uh, now, this song is not very good. It takes the original Thong Song, and he I guess he teamed up with some group that I've never heard of before uh, called JCY. Maybe it's like short for juicy. I don't know. But they look like three sort of chain smoker like DJs who just decided to hitch their wagon to a 15 year old song. It's It's got this weird tropic house beats that sound kind of like Calvin Harris, but the thong song is on top of it. I like it when the beat It reminded me of the original song, and that is actually what's making me happy, is the original song, which I was reminded of because of this terrible song. Uh, I was reminded of how just kitschy and glorious and ridiculous the original thong song is. There's only a verse and a chorus, I realize. There's, the verse is the same the entire time. He repeats it, I think, three or four times. And the chorus is the same. I'm just happy to remember that the thong song in its original incarnation exists. Let me see that song. 
That is an awesome <laughs> entry into what is making us happy this week. Thank you very much, Aisha Harris. Uh, what is making me happy this week is a piece in the August 2017 issue of GQ called The Directors Who Blew Up Hollywood. It was put together by Brett Martin. And he spoke to a variety of directors, including but not limited to uh, Ava DuVernay, Jordan Peele, Carrie Fukunaga, James Gunn, Edgar Wright, Patty Jenkins. They talked about a lot of different aspects of directing and also a lot of different aspects of the film business. And I think what you'll find is it really opens up the advantages to having a lot of different directors making films because they all have different experiences as viewers as well as different experiences as directors. Uh, There is some stuff that is uh, a bit pretentious and some of it is unpleasant, but a lot of it is really insightful and interesting. And I think it's well worth reading. Again, it's called uh, The Directors Who Blew Up Hollywood, and it is by Brett Martin in the August 2017 issue of GQ. That brings us to the end of this episode. You can follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow me at NPRMonkeyC. You can follow Stephen at I Dislike Stephen, Glenn at GH Weldon, Aisha at Crafting My Style, and you can follow our producer, Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore Reedy, and our producer emeritus and music director, Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif, K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello Come In, provides our in and out music that you are tapping your foot to right now. So thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening, and we will see you right back here next week.